Warning, this podcast features graphic content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello again, Nightmare Society, and welcome to another episode of True Horror Stories. Let's start out by thanking our contributors who, without them, we would have no stories to tell. User Persephone Bean. User That Guy Kyle. User Being Melissa. User Brittany Ballistic. And User Cipriano 3. I'd also like to thank and welcome Jeanette D.A. That could be Janet. I'm sure I'm screwing all these names up. And Thomas M as the newest members of our online campfire at patreon.com slash nightmare society where you can find early access commercial free regular episodes as well as bonus episodes nightmare society is a weekly podcast coming out every thursday it is available on most pod streamers including apple google Podcasts, spotify stitcher podbean pocketcast etc So don't forget to follow and or subscribe so you can get episode notifications. And please do go follow us over on YouTube because I know you have a YouTube. We would really appreciate it. Now, get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. done quite well for myself as an adult, but when I was younger we were very poor. In middle school I lived in government housing projects that were like little one-level apartments with two apartments sharing a wall each, all spaced apart. There were woods directly behind the cluster of apartments, with no gate in between, but no one ever went into the woods, which I learned the reason for due to this incident. These apartments were very poorly made, and the windows could easily be popped in and out, never mind a lock. The front door was somewhat sturdy, but with a good kick, it would have been easily opened. My dad was a pretty stocky bodybuilder type, so I had a false sense of security and would leave my window blinds open at night, as my room faced some trees that would blow in the wind. I loved nature and wasn't afraid of the dark so I liked watching the trees as I fell asleep. Our apartment's front door was facing these woods, as was my friend's behind ours with our building blocking their view. As you walk in the front door, the hallway is on the left. My room was at the end of the hallway on the right. My big window that took up most of the wall was on the left, and my bed was sideways facing both walls so I could lay on my side and watch the trees. The woods were about a field away, facing our front door, so I couldn't see it from my room. This was just a small area of trees and vegetation. One night I woke up feeling a sense of unease, and through my sleepy haze made out the figure of a large man, standing at my window, 
watching me sleep with total confidence, not caring at all if he was seen. He was in a big coat, looked quite burly and average to taller height. It was completely black in my room and outside, just barely illuminated by moonlight. I had just cracked open my eyes and I froze once I realized what I was seeing. I kept my eyes as closed as possible, just enough to peer at him in the darkness and literally rolled out of my bed to the side, not facing the window, and shouted for my dad who was across the hall with both of our doors open as I crawled out. Not the smartest, but I was a dumb 12-year-old. He hadn't gone to sleep yet and was in my room in a heartbeat as the guy took off. He went to run out the front door yelling threats as well, which probably wasn't smart, but the guy was gone. I truly believe he never came in before or after this just due to my dad's sheer size and build, but I'll never know. A few nights later, I was spending the night at my friend's who lived directly behind us with the same layout. Her room was the first room on the left with her window facing the woods slash her apartment blocking their view. Her sister's room was the second on the left and her mom and toddler sister were in the room on the right like mine in my own apartment. We finished watching Dave Chappelle and went on to do one another's hair in her room with her older sister helping us while her mom and little sister went to bed. Not long after, we heard screaming from her mom's room and heavy stomping feet. Her older sister swung open the door to the room we were in, and there's just a flash of a huge white man in his 30s to 40s running down the hall towards the living room and front door and her mom behind him with a butcher knife, hacking at the air and screaming bloody murder. Dude flew out the door and towards the woods while her mom locked her door and called the cops. This man had the audacity to pop open the window and crawl into the bed that was pushed against the window just slightly under it, not realizing this woman was a whole Amazon warrior who slept with a butcher knife and would clearly wake up and protect her baby. She was quick and had slashed at him though I'm not sure of the damage since I was ushered home directly after. The police went looking in the woods for him and found him and another man quite similar to him living and hiding out there together. They were also responding to a call from a frantic mother whose little girl had been taken that day, also from our housing units, and they found her with those creeps. She had been there all day and all night with them, and was around three to four years old. They were taken to a jail and that's the last I heard of it as the adults didn't let us in on adult conversation. Poor little girl was probably traumatized and I hope she's been able to heal. I can't imagine what could have happened if my friend's mom had not been so quick and slept with a weapon or if he had decided to fight instead of run. I still don't understand why he didn't try to overpower her but it's possible she injured him. After this, my dad explained sometimes drug addicts or homeless people would hang out in these woods. So, to the creepy dude who liked to peep and kidnap, let's never meet again.
I attended a pretty awful university in the UK. In fact, it was so awful that Vice even published an article written by a student that attended at the same time as me, titled, Three Years of Hell at the University of Wolverhampton. Link provided. I live in a student building in the middle of the city. Of the three student buildings available, it was the middle choice. Literally, it was situated in the middle of the three, and also figuratively, it was the middle. Not as fancy as the fancy one, not as unbearable as the worst one. Most of my friends lived in the fancy building. To get there, I had to walk a small track through a residential part of the city. But my friends found a shortcut. You could literally cut through and climb up the back of a garden behind an abandoned house to get there in less than half the time. I started using this shortcut all the time. One morning, I walked around towards the garden and down to my shortcut and found three grown men standing there. They all looked, for lack of a better word, thuggish and large. I uttered a small, oh, when I saw them and they all looked up at me. A pale, 19-year-old gay country boy with a blonde mohawk. I think I apologized for barging in on what I was pretty sure was a drug deal, and I turned to walk back the way I came and take the long way around. As I walked away, one of them shouted to get my attention. I ignored them, and then I heard them coming after me, so I started to run. I was much younger, slimmer, and fitter back in those days, so I managed to outrun them pretty easily and sprinted all the way around the long route to my friend's building, where they let me in. I explained what had happened, and no one was surprised. This was Wolverhampton after all. A few minutes later, a friend of ours arrived. He lived in a non-university student building off campus and had to walk a different way to get where we were. When he arrived, he asked Kyle, what did you do? I asked him why, and he said that an enormous guy had come up to him, and asked if he'd seen a guy with a blonde mohawk. But my friend acted dumb, even though he immediately knew who he'd been talking about. My poor choice of hair was fairly distinct. The worst part, the guy was carrying a brick in his hand. Still gives me the shivers all these years later. But it doesn't end there. Me and my friends went for a day out to Birmingham. Bright lights, big city, whatever. And didn't get home until late. We got back to their building and drank until way after midnight. I started to relax and forget my horrible ordeal from earlier that morning. At some point, more than a little drunk, I decided to head home. I was now pretty sure I would never take the shortcut again, so I took the long way home instead. As I was walking through the residential area, a car stopped on the opposite side of the road. There were two guys inside and the car was filled with smoke and stank of weed when they rolled down the window to speak to me. I didn't have headphones in or anything and I was the only person on the street so I couldn't ignore them or pretend that I could not hear them. The driver said, nice hair. His friend snickered. Then they asked if I knew where they could get any food and I said, I don't know, in the city center? Then I kept walking trying not to show them how unnerved I was. They were facing the wrong way to drive alongside me, so the driver put the car in reverse so they could keep in pace with me. Then again, they asked me if I knew any places, and I said a few, 
There's a kebab place on the top of the road. They then asked me to get in and show them. I said, I'm drunk and tired and I've got lectures in the morning, trying to sound casual even though I was just about ready to pee my pants. It had not been a good day. They told me they were going to turn around and come back and pick me up, and to wait right where I was. As the car started towards the end of the road, which was a dead end, to turn around, I heard the passenger say, It's him. I knew it was him. When the car was far enough away, I broke into a sprint and ran back towards my building. As I stumbled down some stairs and twisted my ankle pretty badly, I still managed to limp the rest of the way and got through the front door just as the car drove past. I dread to think of what could have happened that day. For the rest of my time at that god-awful university, I prayed to never meet any of those guys again. Fortunately, I never did. So, even though the time has long since passed, let's not meet scary drug dealers. There's a link in the show notes that you should be able to click and it will take you to the article. For those of you on Patreon, it's also in your show notes as well. I was a 17-year-old college student in France when all of this happened. I was living in an apartment next to my college's campus with two roommates, Alex and Polly. I was coming back from class around 5.30pm when I saw a guy waiting in front of our building. It was the kind of old building where you can enter without ringing. It was a big residence so I just passed by him without really caring about why he was here. Fifteen minutes later, the same guy came up to my apartment. He pretended that he was one of Alex's friends, that he was waiting for him, but Alex was late. He also told me the exact place where Alex was doing an internship at the time, and even told me about his schedule for the day. With all of that information he gave, I was confident that they knew each other, so I just let him in. For the record, Alex's father used to work for a big company at the time, so even by looking up on the internet, it was impossible to find anything about him. As a good host, I offered him something to drink and started talking with him while waiting for Alex. The conversation quickly turned darker when he started to tell me about his suicidal past and about the amount of guns he was keeping at his home. I live in France, and it is really unusual to have a gun at home except if you are a hunter or in a profession that requires one. It was getting late, and as the conversation got darker, I started to feel uncomfortable with him, so I decided to send a text to Alex just to let him know that his friend was here and that I wasn't feeling really comfortable with him. Alex answered me a few minutes later, asking me to send a picture of his friend just to see who he was. So I took my phone and discreetly took a picture of the person in front of me. After receiving it, Alex just told me that he was on his way home. When Alex arrived, I was relieved. He came in the living room and said hello to his friend, but then he just sat down and an awkward silence came along with it. After about a minute, I received a text from Alex telling me, I do not know this guy. At the moment, I thought he was joking around 
but after seeing his face, I knew he was serious. So here we are. Two young college students stuck with a stranger that apparently knows a lot about Alex without even meeting him. We were both really young at the time, and we didn't really react in a good way. Every human being in this kind of situation would have called the police or asked him to leave, but we were really lost and didn't think about it. We were scared of his reaction if we would have asked him to leave, so we thought, hey, let's eat early so he will feel uncomfortable not being invited for dinner and leave. But as we were dining in the kitchen, he just stayed in the living room and started to watch TV without even asking us. At the same time, our third roommate, Polly, just came home from work. She entered the apartment and said hi to the guy in the living room before joining us in the kitchen. She then asked us who he was, and wasn't really happy when we told her we didn't have any idea of who he was or how to make him leave. We explained to her our dumb strategy of just living our life until he feels uncomfortable and leave, and she started to act with us and just tell us about her day. At that moment, Polly was going through a rough period and was telling us about it. Not a really fun story to tell or listen. But while she was telling us about her misery, the guy in the living room joined us in the kitchen and started laughing about Polly's story before going back to watching TV. It was really creepy. At that moment, Alex had enough and asked us to leave the apartment while he was going to deal with the guy. This is what happened when we left. Alex got back to the living room and started to act like he was about to go to bed. Another dumb strategy, yes I know. His room was opening onto the living room so he told the guy that he was about to go to bed and left the door half open while starting to remove his jewelry. He noticed that the guy on the couch wasn't moving or caring about the fact that there was no one left in the apartment except Alex who was in his room. Alex went up to him and told him that maybe it was time for him to leave, as he was his friend and that he was going to sleep. But the guy replied to him, I'm waiting for the girls. Alex got mad and finally put him out of the apartment. At the same time, Polly and I were going back into the building and met the guy at the stairs. He wished us a good night and with a creepy smile, he left. Going back to the apartment, Alex told us what happened, and we started to ask ourselves, who was that guy? How did he know Alex's name and surname? How did he know where he was working and his schedule? How did he find our address? We spent a part of the night trying to find an answer without any success. We learned from our mistakes and decided to never open the door again to someone we did not know. Two weeks later, Polly was hanging out in her room. She was home alone. Her windows give a view of the parking lot. And as she was looking out the window, she saw a red car parking. The guy was back. She took down his license plate number and made sure the door was locked. The guy came up to the apartment and told Polly the exact same thing that he had told me the first time he came. Polly got angry and told him that if he was still there in five minutes she would call the police. That was the last time he came. A few weeks later, Alex came home after work, telling us he finally remembered where he already had met the guy. So, here's the story. 
Alex used to go to a bar where you're able to play video games while drinking. Apparently the guy was in the same bar at the machine next to him and tried talking to Alex, but he was too focused on his game and only took the time to tell him a quick hello. We think that guy probably followed Alex around for a week or two after that day. We moved out of the apartment a few months after this story. Would have loved to not meet this one. So our oldest son, Caden, was three at the time, and our youngest son, Connor, was around five months old. Still gives me the chills and still makes me uncomfortable even walking by. It was January evening in Pennsylvania. It was dark outside with a couple of inches of snow on the ground. We had just finished eating dinner and I planned on giving our little one a bath. My husband drives a truck for work so he isn't home very often. It's me and the boys during the week. Caden was playing in his toy room that has a door leading to the side deck. A little detail, we have no sensor light or even a porch light on that whole side of the house. At this time, we did not use the deck at all, only to use our grill during the summer months. It's not close to the sidewalk or the next street over basically an open space of yard off of that deck. Anyway, Caden was playing in the toy room waiting for his turn to take a bath while I brought Connor into the bathroom. We were just about done with bath time when I heard Caden's little feet running towards the bathroom. He stands in the doorway and says, Mommy, there's a man looking in the side door. I think it's the mailman. My heart skipped a beat because, one... No mailman is coming at 7pm. 2. The side door, as he called it, was never used, especially not in the winter. 3. I did not hear anyone knock. I began to sketch myself out more by thinking about how there's no light on the deck, and this person would have to walk through the yard, in the snow, walk up the back stairs of the deck, and go to that door when the front porch light was on and attached to a shoveled sidewalk. I took Connor out of the bath, put him in a towel in his little chair and told Caden to sit with his brother and not to come out until I said it was okay. He was confused but listened, just kept asking what was wrong. I grabbed the biggest kitchen knife I could find, had 911 ready to call and got my mama bear face on. When I walked to the side of the door, I shined the flashlight on my phone through the window of the door at a distance, walking up to it, hopefully to scare someone away. It's made mostly of glass. The worst thing with this is, as a mother, I reached for the handle and realized it was unlocked. Someone could have walked right in. I flung the door open and shined my light, held up my knife and yelled, Hey! In the most threatening voice a 5 foot 4, 120 pound woman could make. There were footprints in the snow, going up the deck stairs and back down, going into the field and the woods behind our house. I slammed the door thoroughly freaked out and locked it. I called the police and waited in the bathroom with the boys. 
While I was in there, I asked Caden if he knew who the man was. He said no, but he smiled and waved at him for a long time. That freaking haunts me still. I asked him what he was wearing. He told me he had a hat on that looked like a mailman's, and he wasn't wearing a coat. That's all I got out of him. The police officer came and searched the property with flashlights before coming inside. He asked me and Caden questions and then informed me that he not only saw footprints leading up to the side deck, but to the outside door to our basement and kitchen window on the other side of the house as well. He suggested I have someone come and stay with us for the night, and they will continue to follow the footprints around that were left in the snow back to the field and the wood line. My father-in-law was the closest to us, so he slept on the couch that night with his gun. My mother was a nervous wreck, and I got very little sleep that night, and I never heard back from the police. I'm guessing the tracks were lost through the bit of the woods. Caden still mentions it from time to time randomly, and we got a blackout curtain for that door. I still would very much like to get better locks to be safe. My husband and my father think it might have been a man who saw me home alone while passing and wanted to hopefully sneak a peek. But why just stand and watch my child and go around the whole back of the house, not by the front door or the street? I hope to never see that creep's face, and I hope he never smiles or waves to my child again. This next story features an asshole who was emotionally abusive and then stalked his ex-girlfriend. If hearing someone's experience with emotional abuse is triggering for you, I would highly suggest skipping this last story. And thanks for listening. I met John at a party when I was 21. He was handsome and a very smooth talker. Honestly, I hated him the first time we talked. He stole my hat and refused to give it back until I gave him my number. Instead of listening to my gut, I gave in. We ended up texting back and forth and eventually decided to go on a date. Turned out John lived just around the corner from me. Right off the bat, he told me about his mental health issues, bipolar, OCD, depression, and anxiety. He assured me that he was taking medication for all of them. I was studying psychology in college and thought my knowledge of mental health could be beneficial to our relationship. I opened up to him about my own traumas and hardships, which bonded us. After a couple of months, I started to notice something was off. He would have these grandiose ideas about our relationship and his future for about a week or two. Then, after some time, he would stop going to work. He'd lie about it all day, until he finally would blow up on me, telling me he was so anxious to go, he spent the whole morning throwing up. I tried to be supportive of him. I told him there were other jobs he could try out, but he would always bring it back to how little I knew about hard work. I quickly noticed his highs and lows were like clockwork. He would cycle through every six to eight weeks. I knew it was his bipolar, 
but he had assured me he was taking his medication. Throughout the relationship, he became extremely possessive. If a man looked at me while we were walking down the street, he would accuse me of knowing him and would not talk to me the rest of the day. He'd constantly accuse me of cheating on him with every person who looked at me. I felt like I couldn't talk to men or even dress nicely because I was afraid of attracting any attention. We broke up several times throughout a nine-month period. He would say he couldn't be with me and then two weeks later have a list of all the things he planned on doing if I took him back. He would tell me all the ways he would work to improve himself in our relationship. I trusted him. I could only take so much of the ups and downs and when I found out he wasn't taking his medication or seeing a therapist he had promised to see, I told him I couldn't do it anymore. He was absolutely furious. He texted me long rants about how worthless I was, how no one would ever want to be with me or connect with me. I was too privileged to ever make a difference in life. To put it lightly, I was terrified. About three weeks after I ended all communication, blocked his number and social media, he began to stalk me and harass me. Living so close was suddenly only convenient for him and my own personal hell. One night around 3am I heard pounding on my window. I was terrified. I couldn't move. The pounding grew louder and more intense. I slowly slipped out of my bed and onto the floor. It was then that he started calling my name. After about 15 minutes of fear, it was quiet. I called my mom and then the police. The police found a piece of paper taped to my door in red scribbled lettering. It said that he knew we belonged together and that he would make sure we ended up together. I was shocked. The police told me that since the relationship was so on and off, that it was my fault. I needed to be more clear about what I wanted. Throughout the next couple of months, he would show up outside my bedroom window and watch me. I continued to call the police, who told me that I didn't need to file a report and that just calling was good enough. He also began using his friend's social media to harass me, begging me to give him another chance. He even emailed my school email to attempt to get me to talk to him. I eventually contacted the school who personally delivered a letter to him, banning him from the campus. This only made him more angry. He texted me from a friend's phone telling me that unless I texted him back, he would come to the campus whenever he wanted, just to intimidate me. That was the final straw. I went to the police and filed a report. Eventually, he found a new girlfriend and the stalking stopped. However, just last week, I was taking the train and saw him staring at me from a train car. His eyes were so dark and empty. I truly hope I never see or hear from him again. So many failures of human beings in that last story, unfortunately. But I'm so glad to know that the poster ended up being okay. She was lucky. They don't always end up finding a new muse. Please do, in fact, report people behaving like this. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Nightmare Society Radio. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Nightmare Society. Even if you're not a member, there's updates there that you can check out as well. 
and thanks so much for listening. Until next time.